Digital Marketing Radio, episode 203. How to engage and retain your audience. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page. This is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The big interview with David Bain. Hello, I'm David Bain, and today I'm joined by someone who creates educational content and digital products that help people develop and grow rewarding, profitable online businesses. He's VP of Marketing for Rainmaker Digital. Welcome to DMR, Jared Morris. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm also very jealous of your soundboard, as we uh, talked about before we went live. I'm sure (laughs) you're going to be looking up how to do that fairly soon. Yes. uh, forward to <laughs> seeing how you do with that <laughs> yes well thanks for joining me jared great to have you here and you can find jared of course over at rainmakerdigital.com so jared um we're talking of course um about um producing outstanding content on a regular basis and um engaging retaining audiences um is it not really possible to do that to do that retention and engagement of audiences just by producing great content or do you have to be very proactive with uh, really trying to push people towards your content do you think that's a great question i mean I, th- I think you need a balance of both i mean i think building an audience of any kind and engaging with an audience of any kind has to start with a foundation of good content i mean that means that the content is useful you know, that people are going to be educated by it. They're going to be entertained by it or inspired by it, depending on what they're coming to you for. And it's very important that you know why people are coming to you so that you can make sure that you give them that. Uh, And it also needs to be authentic. I mean, I think you've got to really know yourself. You've got to really know your audience and find that intersection uh, and don't give your audience everything because they don't need to know everything about you, but they do want to know the parts about you that are going to help them achieve some goal or overcome some fear or move past some obstacle. And so I think when you can do that, when you can create authentic content and when you can create useful content and then you can do it in a sustainable way, meaning that you can show up and show up reliably uh, so that people know that they can count on you and you become a trusted source of answers, uh, then I think you're going to start to build an audience. And then at that point, obviously, then you have to go out and find more people who are like your people. And if you're putting out good content and if you're communicating publicly uh, in a way that is very authentic, you're, that you're going to attract that kind of person back. And I think then when you do that, it's just about being patient. And you got to have patience over time that your content will find the right people. Uh, and if you continue to do that, uh, I think that's, that's how you build a, a good audience long term. So what would you really mean by engaging an audience? Um, is it important to interact with an audience if you're doing a podcast to actually do things like uh, reading out questions and answers or ideally, I guess, interacting with um, live comments that people actually leave? Or is it is it more about just making sure that uh, you understand who you're talking to, you're talking with, have that have that I- ideal pers- persona in mind when you're when you're talking with people? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think so much of it's going to depend on the context. And really, it's going to depend on where you are with your audience building. Um, you know, so if you have an audience of hundreds of thousands of people, and when you send out a tweet, you know, you're getting a thousand different responses, it's probably going to be very hard for you to respond individually to every person. Or, you know, if you have an email list and you send an email out and you get tons and tons of responses, it's not feasible to reply to everybody one-on-one. And so I think at that point, engaging with an audience is 
you know, listening enough, understanding enough to know what the the main composite questions are, and then trying to address those in a one-to-many scenario as best you can. Um, I think when you're just starting out, it's much different. And at that point, it is really important to do some of those things that don't scale, you know, to reply to every email, to send, you know, some handwritten thank you notes when people take you up on your call to action, you know, to really make a difference and kind of cut through the crowd to respond to all the tweets that come in. Um, I know, you know, one of the projects that I'm working on right now, uh, the assembly call is a post game show for Indiana basketball games, and we're getting ready to enter our seventh season. And, you know, we're at the point now where, you know, we have a big enough following both on Twitter and people who, you know, listen to the show on our podcast and on YouTube and with email that I'm kind of now to the point where, you know, I've always prided myself on. I reply to every email and I always answer anybody who reaches out. But if I do that now, I'm not creating the next great piece of content for the audience. And so you kind of have to use your own judgment and understand when you're at that point. But I don't think that there's any substitute early on for doing some of those things, going the extra mile and literally building one-on-one connections. And it can get frustrating when your audience gets bigger because you're like, I want to keep building the one-on-one connections. But at some point, you have to kind of look at it. I need to do, you know, use my time wisely to create the best I can for the greatest number of people in my audience. And so that may be that may mean taking a step back from the one-to-one interactions, but you learn so much from them. And a lot of times those people that you connect with one-on-one early on when you're building an audience become your biggest advocates and help bring other people in. So, so much of it's going to depend on the context and timing, um, but you just always want to make sure that you're doing what's in the best interest of your, uh, of your audience as a whole. And as long as your audience focused, you know, I think you're always going to lean toward making the right decision. So has the content, the style of content that you're producing changed much over the last year or so? And do you have much intention of it changing in the foreseeable future? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think with all the different projects, um, you know, that I'm involved in, whether it's, you know, my personal project, the assembly call that I mentioned, or the showrunner, you know, the podcast that we do about podcasting, or, you know, with Digital Commerce Institute and some of the webinars and Q&As that we do in there, you know, we're always trying new things and trying to see what is going to connect better with the audience and then continuing to do more of what works and then not doing uh, what doesn't work. And I think also different technologies that come up make it make a difference too. You know, this is the first session that I've ever done, uh, you know, with Be Live that we're doing right here, this, this uh, you know, and broadcasting it live on Facebook. That's something that I want to do more of, you know, now whether that takes, you know, is going to be one-on-one interviews or doing Q and A's, you know, we'll see, but I think being able to reach out to people, uh, just through different mediums and with different technologies that gives you new styles to try putting something out there for your audience uh, and seeing what they connect with. And they might not like something and you say, okay, I'm not going to do that. Um, but you and I were actually talking about, uh, before we went live, I was telling you about how last night, you know, I'd written a blog post, but the audience that I wrote the blog post for is very much used to interacting with our content as audio or video. We haven't done a lot of text blogging. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, crap, you know, like 5% of the people are actually going to read this, but it's good content. Let me do this in video and podcast form. And I can kind of read it, but then stop and explain, you know, what's going on. And I said at the very beginning, look, this, you know, I'm just trying this out. This may not work. <laughs> this could be a total disaster. But if you like it, let me know because I'd like to do more of these, but I want to make sure that it's worthwhile. And I, I've gotten responses all day long, emails and tweets from people that really liked it and would like to see us do more of that. 
And so, you know, I'm really glad that I, you know, kind of took that chance to try something new, but also let people know that I was open to their feedback on whether it's something that I should keep doing. And I think having that type of feedback loop with your audience builds trust, builds connection. And that's what really, I think, locks people in long term, uh, you know, to be in that loyal audience member. It's... I guess about testing as many things as possible, seeing what resonates with people and gravitating towards that. So don't have any preconceptions if possible and be willing to try out new technologies as they actually come up as well. Is is that the biggest mistake that businesses tend to make with their content marketing? They tend to maybe just stick to one form and don't actually ask their audiences what they prefer. Yeah, I think it can be. I mean, I think you can also run into trouble of constantly asking your audience uh, and then trusting their answers too much, if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, you have to kind of balance that. I think too often we can try to put it out to our audience and, and ask them and expect them to give the answer when really I think we get answers from our audience the most by listening. So I think what really encouraged me about the responses that I got from this particular example that I just gave you is that my hunch was correct. Like, you know, I put this out there as a blog post and I thought, you know what? I know our audience and I know that they like connecting more with audio content and with video content that let me try this. And the fact that that hypothesis was confirmed overwhelmingly by their responses was was good in terms of letting me know that I'm the right track in terms of, of understanding the audience. So I think it is good to open the feedback loop but I wouldn't rely on that because now you're pushing the responsibility on the audience to tell you when you always, as a content creator and as an audience builder, have to have the humility to understand that the the responsibility is on you to listen and to understand and to work, you know, to to try and give your audience the best thing that you can, even if they aren't going to explicitly tell you what it is. Do you have that one person in mind? Do you have that buyer persona, that persona that you're trying to actually create content for? the exact age and I guess education lifestyle of the person or are you a bit more general and um, open in terms of the style of content that you produce? When I start out with a new project or serving a new audience I do always boil it down to that audience of one and we talk about that a lot on the showrunner you know especially when you're beginning who is that person you know down to all the things that you talked about gender what do they like what are they seeing um, because I think that really helps you to empathize. As I get more into a project, I tend to not think that specifically as I go. But what I do really try and do is have those one-on-one -on -one interactions with people so that I'm always staying grounded to the fact that I'm not just speaking to thousands of people out there. You know, I'm speaking to Michael and I'm speaking to Chuck and I'm speaking to Sarah. And I'm actually thinking about specific audience members that I've emailed with today as I'm saying that. And being able to have that connection is always going to bring you back. So I don't think it always has to be like, you know, okay, it's a woman and she's 29 and she's doing all these things. I think those things can really help you in the beginning. And I think if you drift off track, it's a great fundamental to come back to. Um, but as you go, then you should really be, you know, thinking about, you know, specific people in your audience, but it doesn't always have to be the same one. Um, and, and I think that, again, you know, all of those things are just fundamentals that will help you engage and create that connection with the audience. And what about retaining your audience, encouraging your audience to come back and engage with more content, listen to more episodes that you produce? Do you have um, certain tactics, I guess, that you use to encourage people to come back and engage with more content in the future? For me, email has always been a huge key. Uh, you know, having a place 
where people can go to and where they should go to and where you direct them to after they've listened to a podcast for how to get more and how to connect with you more. For me, that's always email. I want to get people onto an email list, not so I can market to them, not so that I can sell stuff to them, but so that I can give them more and build a better connection. So, you know, if it's, uh, you know, you have them on a podcast and then and try to have something special for them just for email people. Maybe it's a weekly news roundup. You know, maybe it's a special uh, weekly newsletter that you only send uh, to people who are on your email list. Adding that kind of connection and making people feel special for getting on the email list has been huge. And then letting people know, hey, if you ever have a question, respond to an email and I'll, I'll get back to you. And again, if you can do that, depending on the stage that you're at with your audience. But email for me, I know if I get someone on the email list that I'm going to have such a better chance of retaining them because I'm going to give them value with the emails. So as long as they got on the email list for the right reasons, they're probably not going to unsubscribe. In most cases, you're obviously you're always going to have you know one or two percent of people that that churn on there. Um, but if you can really do that, that's really going to lock people in because there is a lot of email out there, but not a lot of people are doing email well. And if you really have a personal touch and really focus on giving people value, now you have that touch point in someone's inbox, which is you know a little bit more intimate. Um, and when people really start looking forward to your emails, that's how you know you're really in a good position to keep that person as an audience member. So in terms of doing email well, do you have an autoresponder sequence to begin with to actually make people aware, I guess, more about what you do as a, as a brand? And how often should you actually email people? Good question. Um, as far as the autoresponder, yes. I think it's really important to have something at the beginning. And maybe it's just one email. It doesn't necessarily have to be a big, long, complicated autoresponder, although there's lots that you can do. You know, Maybe it's a free course. Maybe it's some kind of sequence that walks people through your best content. But I think the best kind of analogy that I've heard for that initial autoresponder email is you're basically taking someone by the hand and walking them around your content. You know, Get them to click around. Show them the different places that they can engage, that they can share with you. Let them know what to expect. You know, when your show goes, when you're going to be sending them an email so that there are no surprises outside of pleasant surprises. You know, you don't want, you know, to be sending a pitch email two weeks later and they had no idea that there was ever going to be something like that. You know, so I think being very clear, setting those expectations um, is is so important. And that starts that email relationship off uh, on the right foot. You asked another there was another part of that question. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was the autoresponder and I guess the frequency, frequency. of emails as well. Frequency. Yeah. So I think frequency is going to depend on context. So, for example, uh, with the Digital Entrepreneur podcast, we have a weekly newsletter that goes along with that, the Digital Entrepreneur, and we send that once a week. Um, over at the assembly call, you know, during the season, it's a lot different because we'll, we'll send an email the day after every game and our weekly Saturday news roundup. So people might get three or four emails a week, but they understand that because that's what they signed up for. And then in the off season, it's a little bit different. You know, we, we ramp it down a little bit. So I, there's not a perfect answer there. I think the minimum is if you can produce quality, the minimum I think is, is once a week. You want to get in that inbox once a week so people don't forget about you. They know that you're there. But don't send crap just to get in the inbox, you know, that week because you're like, I've got to be there once a week. It would be better to not show up than to send crap. Um, so I think that would be a good kind of rule of thumb if you can make it work. And then understand that if you're going to try and go into someone's inbox, you know, more than once a week, two, three times a week, again, every single time you've got to deliver some goods, you've got to deliver some value and don't hit send if you're not going to do that. And do you have to be 
consistent uh, even if you're going to do it once a month do you do you have to do it on a consistent basis because i i'm fairly guilty of I guess emailing on an ad hoc basis and, and not having any consistency about doing things is—is is that not a great idea? I think it can work. I think again, it depends on the context and the relationship that you have with your audience. But I think in general, a good rule of thumb is to at least have a consistent anchor, right? So maybe that is your weekly news roundup, or maybe that's your weekly newsletter, or you know, monthly, whatever your time frame is. Like on the assembly call, we have that that Saturday news roundup off-season, during the season, that's always there. And we might not send another email that week, but you always know that by Saturday, you're going to hear from us, right? Now, you know, we'll send some other emails and maybe we have a live broadcast that we're going to do and we decide on Tuesday we're going to do it. So we send people a quick email to let them know. Or, you know, I wrote this blog post and I want to let you know that it's there. And so, you know, we'll send you that email on Thursday. So that stuff can be on an ad hoc basis, but the Saturday newsletter anchors it. And it's always something that you can promote because I think it's going to be really hard to promote like, hey, sign up for the email list. And whenever I feel like sending you something important, I'll send it to you. Like that's not as compelling a pitch as sign up for the email list. You'll immediately uh, you know, be subscribed to our six banner Saturday news roundup. So whether you're in season or off season every Saturday, you're going to get a roundup of the latest IU basketball news. Uh, and then plus we'll send you show updates when possible. So in a moment, Sam, we're going to be moving on to the second part of our discussion where I'll be asking Jared about the software that he couldn't live without. But first of all, have you purchased Digital Marketing in 2017, the book? 107 digital marketers in one book, all sharing their number one actionable tip for the year and written by me. So check out the reviews and grab your copy over at digitalmarketingin2017.com. But let's segue into the second part of our discussion. So that focuses on Jared's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So Jared, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Well, I'm a podcaster and I use a Mac, so I'm big on GarageBand. Uh, I use Auphonic uh, to help you know level out my interviews. But probably the, the, the most important piece of software undoubtedly is the Rainmaker platform. And obviously I'm biased because my company Rainmaker Digital builds Rainmaker, um, but I build all of my sites on Rainmaker. And you know my email marketing is is done through Rainmaker. Uh, it really allows you to uh, do some things with marketing automation, with email, with building courses and podcasts and linking them all together in a way that you can't really get elsewhere. And so when it comes to connection, you know, being able to anticipate where a person is on their journey and have that right piece of content or that right message for them is really important. Um, and, you know, Rainmakers helped me do that in addition to security and hosting and, and all those other things that you need uh, in a website. So undoubtedly, uh, considering how important my websites are to what I do, it would be Rainmaker. Well, let's ask a slightly more challenging question then. And that is, what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Uh, what was the one that we were just talking about? Uh, <laughs> Are we talking about Vmix well, yeah. or BeLive? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, you know, as I told you, I do a lot of live broadcasts on Google Hangouts and you know, we built mm. our YouTube audience and I want to be able to continue to serve that YouTube audience. But I would love to bring in Facebook folks. But obviously, I don't have time to do one recording for YouTube, one recording for Facebook. It'd be great to be able to do it all in one place. So uh, I really appreciate you giving me those recommendations because I think if I can find uh, some kind of program like that that will allow me to do that, it would be, man, it would just, it would take what we're doing to the next level. Great. Okay, we'll include links to that and um, your recommendations in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But 
let's move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? I did not understand the importance of email, unquestionably. And if I could go back and do it again... I would have built an email list. You know, I I ran a blog called Midwest Sports Fans for a number of years. I think back 2007, 2008, uh, and really, really did SEO well. Like that site took off because I really understood SEO at the time. Really did a lot of things well, uh, and also understood viral traffic. And that site took off, and you know, was getting millions and millions of views a month, and would just you know crazy traffic. But the problem is almost every single day I had to start over because there was no real connection with the audience. It was all search engine traffic. It was all viral traffic. I wasn't actually building an audience. I was just driving traffic. And I didn't understand that you've got to build a connection and actually have a place, have something for people to subscribe to and connect with you on if you really want to build an audience. And I just, it's, it was such a lost opportunity to have a, I mean, if I had been smart about it, I would have had an email list of 20, 30,000 people, which is a real asset. You know, and whether I stuck with that project or, or you know, obviously I didn't, I went on to something else, you know, obviously a portion of those people would have come along and I would have actually had that asset to do it. So, you know, that difference between building, you know, driving traffic and building an audience is so important. And I wish, you know, I'm glad I understand it now because it's so important to what I do, but I wish I understood it back then. It's amazing how more important email is nowadays. I, I think there was a phase where people thought that social media was going to take over and people were going to be more responsive there. But of course, you don't have everything under your control. You, you don't have the ability to reach out to people because now Facebook are deleting, diminishing organic reach and on pages so it's difficult to actually get hold of your your whole audience and also of course if if you have that email list you can do things like retargeting as well uploading that email list and um, really getting some some great responses from people as as a result of showing your brand in different places so there are so many benefits of having a, a great email list yeah no it's an asset and you're not building on somebody else's land and both of those concepts are so important for success online Indeed, indeed. Okay, so let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions, just okay. two rows. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. <laughs> i got to <laughs> save my both. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Twitter or Facebook? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? Facebook. Mobile or desktop? Mobile. Email marketing or web retargeting? Email marketing. Website or app? Website. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Quality or quantity? Quality. Email contact form or telephone number? Email contact form. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local <laughs> marketing or global marketing? Uh, both. Depends on context. <laughs> well, that was your last one there, so uh, you used your bow. That's, that was fine. And I usually dig into one particular answer where there has been a pause, but I don't believe there was one pause there. You just raced through them all. You know, Facebook and Twitter is an interesting one because, you know, I, I think there to me, I've, I've had more success, you know, with Twitter just because I like it more personally. But I think it's probably... I'm forcing myself to get on Facebook more because that's where people are. And that's where I think it's a little bit easier to host conversations. So, 
you know, Twitter is kind of more the answer, the self-centered answer. But I know as an audience builder and trying to put myself in the shoes of the audience, Facebook is where people are. So I've got to try and swallow my my own personal problems and, and dislike for the actual <laughs> service and understand if I really want to converse with people, which I do, I need to be over there. So that one I, I was a little unsure about. I can relate that. I, I, I can. You sound as if you're um, sitting there on the on the patient's uh, bed, actually uh, telling the doctor. <laughs> yes. This is what I dislike about Facebook. But I can I can understand that as well. There's there's something strange about Facebook in that um, it's became so personal, and uh, I think uh, marketers struggled for a long time on whether or not, whether or not they should actually draw the line between them personally and marketing whatever whatever they do they do yeah no, it's, it's and that's a difficult decision um, it is for everybody to to try and make the ten thousand dollar question if i was to give you ten thousand dollars and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business what would you spend it on and how would you measure success I would spend it on Facebook advertising to build more email subscribers. So I would basically, I would figure out a good opt-in. I don't know exactly what the opt-in would be. It would depend on the audience. Um, but I would drive paid traffic to it. Uh, and I would gauge my success based on how much it cost me to get an email subscriber. Because that's, you know, again, you know, that that's, it's so important, you know, if you're going to pay for advertising, like it's great, you know, for people to see a message and to pay for branding and that can obviously have its place. But I think at the end of the day, you want to really have something at the end of that. And so I want to drive people to my website, but I want to get them to subscribe. Uh, and so that's, that's what I would do. Not exactly sure the strategy it would depend on the site, but I do paid advertising with the goal of getting email subscribers. Okay. And would your, would you lead them towards a funnel that would end up purchasing some kind of product or service after that i guess yeah i think ultimately i mean if you're in if you're doing anything online you know for you to do it successfully in the long term you've got to be profitable mm. right and that means you've either got to you know generate revenue directly you know with people buying stuff or indirectly because your content marketing you know leads to people buying stuff uh, or you just so love the experience that whatever you have to pay in terms of time and cost you're willing to just do because you love it. But you and I both know that only goes so far. Like at yeah. some point, you've actually got to make money. So, you know, I mean, you think about it, I mean, it could be like over at digitalcommerce.com. You know, you could start, we could get subscribers to the Digital Entrepreneur Newsletter with the ultimate goal being to get someone to sign up for Digital Commerce Academy. And the ultimate goal there is to get them to, you know, sign up for the Rainmaker platform. So there's a, there's a plan. You know, at the assembly call, it might be more, okay, I want to get someone onto an email list so that six months down the road when we do a donation drive, that person is going to feel more connected and be more willing to donate to us. So ultimately, it is, you know, about driving revenue because that's what helps to drive the product. Um, but what that is, what the funnel is, how long term of a funnel it is, is going to be dependent on the project. My number one takeaway. Well, Jared, you have a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what would you say is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to just take away and implement in their businesses? To me, the number one takeaway is always to do whatever you can, try as hard as you can to balance your pride and your humility, which I think is this, the, the, the most important skill that you can have building an audience. Because I think you always have to have pride in your message and enough pride that you believe in what you're saying and you are going to get it out there. And even when you're a little bit afraid or someone tells you that you're wrong or that it's stupid or whatever, that pride in what you have to say is going to keep you moving forward. But at the same time, if that runs rampant, 
And if all you're worried about is what you have to say in your message, you're forgetting about the humility that you need to step into your audience's shoes and realize that your message is only as effective, only as valuable as the impact that it has on them. And so I think being able to balance those two things is is going to give you everything that you need to connect with an audience and then to build, uh, you know, just step by step audience member by audience member, the kind of audience that can really be an asset, whether you're just trying to build, you know, something for personal satisfaction or you're trying to build a business around it. That combination of pride and humility uh, is what will lead you on the right path to getting there. Great answer. Well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our listener to find out more about you and what you do? Uh, I think the best way uh, is just to follow me on Twitter at Jared Morris, J-E-R-O-D-M-O-R-R-I-S. And if you are interested in podcasting, you can actually go to showrunner.fm or digitalcommerce.com if you want to learn more about what we do in terms of digital commerce. Great. Okay. Well, um, we're recording this live on Facebook, of course. Um, We've um, had about um, 50 people or so watch and uh, a few likes there. Um, Not a lot of interaction and comments, I guess, because of the the show type that we're doing here. It's a little bit more of a discussion, but it's good to experiment with these things. Hopefully everyone watching enjoyed that there and hopefully you listening to the audio podcast as well enjoyed things as well. Yeah, absolutely. This is fun. So, uh, thanks to Jared, and thank you, dear listener, too. If you have an opinion of what Jared shared today, tell us what you think. The Facebook page of, is, of course, uh, facebook.com slash digitalmarketingradio, and you can tweet me at David Bain. Plus, remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already, so you can do that at digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes for iPhones, or digitalmarketingradio.com slash Android for Android devices. But until we meet again... Be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, thank you, David.